Chapter Twenty Two of the Tavern Night. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Cornwall. The Tavern Night by Raphael Sabatini. Chapter Twenty Two. Sir Crispin's Undertaking. Through the long October night, Crispin and Hogan sat on, and neither sought his bed. Crispin's quick wits his bursts of grief once over, had been swift to fasten on a plan to accomplish that which he had undertaken. One difficulty confronted him, and until he had mentioned it to Hogan, seemed unsurmountable. He had need of a ship. But in this the Irishman could assist him. He knew of a vessel then at Greenwich, whose master was in his debt, which should suit his purpose. Money, however, would be needed. But when Crispin announced that he was master of some two hundred Caraluses, Hogan, with a wave of the hand, declared the matter settled. Less than half that sum would hire a man he knew of. That determined, Crispin unfolded his project to Hogan, who laughed at the simplicity of it, for all that inwardly he cursed the risks Sir Crispin must run for the sake of one so unworthy. If the maid loves him, the thing is as good as done. The maid does not love him, leastwise I fear not. Hogan was not surprised. Why, then it will be difficult, well-nigh impossible, and the Irishman became grave. But Crispin laughed unpleasantly. Years and misfortune had made him cynical. What is the love of a maid, quoth he derisively? A caprice, a fancy, a thing that may be guided, overcome, or compelled, as the occasion shall demand. Opportunity is love's parents, Hogan, and given that, any maid may love any man. Cynthia shall love my son. But if she prove rebellious, if she say nay to your proposals, there are such women. How, then, am I not stronger? In such a case it shall be mine to compel her, and as I find her, so shall I carry her away. It will be none so poor a vengeance on the Ashburns, after all. His brow grew clouded. But not what I had dreamed of, what I should have taken had he not cheated me. To forgo it now, after all these years of waiting, is another sacrifice I make to Jocelyn. To serve him in this matter, I must proceed cautiously. Cynthia may fret and fume and stamp, but willy-nilly I shall carry her away. Once she is in France, friendless, alone, I make no doubt that she will see the convenience of loving Jocelyn, leastwise of wedding him, and thus shall I have more than repair the injuries I have done him. The Irishman's broad face was very grave. His reckless merry eye fixed Galliard with a look of sorrow, and this gray-haired sinning soldier of fortune, who had never known a conscience, muttered softly, It is not a nice thing you contemplate, Chris. Despite himself, Galliard winced, and his glance fell before Hogan's. For a moment he saw the business in its true light, and he wavered in his purpose. Then, with a short bark of laughter, Gad, so you are sentimental, Harry, said he, to add more gravely, There is my son, and in this lies the only way to his heart. Hogan stretched a hand across the table and set it upon Crispin's arm. Is he worth such a stain upon your honor, Crispin? There was a pause. Is it not late in the day, Hogan, for you and me to prat of honor? Asked Crispin bitterly, yet with averted gaze. God knows my honor is as like honor as a beggar's rags are like unto a cloak of ermine. What signifies another splash, another rent, and that which is tattered beyond all semblance of its original condition? I asked you, the Irishman persisted whether your son was worth the sacrifice that the vile deed you contemplate entails. Crispin shook his arm from the other's grip, and rose abruptly. 
he crossed to the window and drew back the curtain. "'Day is breaking,' said he gruffly. Then, turning and facing Hogan across the room, "'I have pledged my word to Jocelyn,' he said. "'The way I have chosen is the only one, and I shall follow it. "'But if your conscience cries out against it, Hogan, "'I give you back your promise of assistance, "'and I shall shift alone. "'I have done so all my life.' Hogan shrugged his massive shoulders and reached out for the bottle of strong waters. "'If you are resolved, there is an end to it. "'My conscience shall not trouble me, "'and upon what aid I have promised "'and what more I can give you may depend.' I drink to the success of your undertaking. Thereafter they discussed the matter of the vessel that Crispin would require, and it was arranged between them that Hogan should send a message to the skipper, bidding him come to Harwich, and there await and placed himself at the command of Sir Crispin Galliard. For fifty pounds Hogan thought that he would undertake to land Sir Crispin in France. The messenger might be dispatched forwith, and the Lady Jane should be at Harwich two days later. By the time they had determined upon this, the inmates of the hostelry were astir, and from the inn-yard came to them the noise of bustle and preparation for the day. Presently they left the chamber where they had sat so long, and at the yard-pump the tavern knight performed a rude morning toilet. Thereafter, on a simple fare of herrings and brown ale, they broke their fast, and ere that meal was done, Kenneth, pale and worn, with dark circles round his eyes, entered the common room and sat moodily apart. But when later Hogan went to see the dispatching of his messenger, Crispin rose and approached the youth. Kenneth watched him fervently, without pausing in his meal. He had spent a very miserable night pondering over the future, which looked gloomy enough, and debating whether, forgetting and ignoring what had passed, he should return to the genteel poverty of his Scottish home, or accept the pro-offered service of this man who announced himself, and whom he now believed to be his father. He had thought, but he was far from having chosen between Scotland and France, when Crispin now greeted him, not without constraint. "'Jocelyn,' he said, speaking slowly, almost humbly, "'in an hour's time I shall set out to return to Marleigh to fulfill my last night's promise to you. How I shall accomplish it, scarce I know as yet. But accomplish it I shall. I have arranged to have a vessel awaiting me, and within three days, or four at the most, I look to cross to France.' bearing your bride with me. He paused for some reply, but none came. The boy sat on with an impassive face, his eyes glued to the table, but his mind busy enough upon that which his father was pouring into his ear. Presently Crispin continued, You cannot refuse to do as I suggest, Jocelyn. I shall make you the fullest amends for the harm that I have done you, if you but obey my directions. You must quit this place as soon as possible, and proceed on your way to London. There you must find a boat to carry you to France, and you will await me at the Auberge du Soleil at Calais. You are agreed, Jocelyn? There was a slight pause, and Jocelyn took his resolution. Yet there was still a sullen look in the eyes he lifted to his father's face. I have little choice, sir, he made answer, and so I must agree. If you accomplish what you promise, I own that you will have made amends, and I shall crave your pardon for my yesterday's want of faith. I shall await you at Calais. Crispin sighed, and for a second his face hardened. It was not the answer to which he held himself entitled, and for a moment it rose to the lips of this man of fierce and sudden moods to draw back and let the son, whom at that moment he began to detest, go his own way, which assuredly would lead him to perdition. But a second's thought sufficed to quell that mood of his. I shall not fail you, he said coldly. Have you money for the journey? 
The boy flushed as he remembered that little was left of what Joseph Ashburn had given him. Crispin saw the flush, and reading aright its meaning, he drew from his pocket a purse that he had been fingering, and placed it quietly upon the table. There are fifty Caroluses in that bag. That should suffice to carry you to France. Fare you well until we meet at Calais. And without giving the boy time to utter thanks that might be unwilling, he quickly left the room. Within the hour he was in the saddle, and his horse's head was turned northward once more. He rode through Newport some three hours later without drawing rein. By the door of the Raven Inn stood a traveling carriage, upon which he did not so much as bestow a look. By the merest thread hangs at times the whole of a man's future life, the destinies even of men as yet unborn. So much may depend, indeed, upon a glance, that had not Crispin kept his eyes that morning upon the gray road before him, had he chanced to look sideways as he passed the Raven Inn at Newport, and seen the Ashburn arms displayed upon the panels of that coach, he would of a certainty have paused, and had he done so his whole destiny would assuredly have shaped a different course from that which he was unconsciously steering. End of chapter 22 Recorded by Rick Cornwall